Good Friday is one of the darkest, most beautiful days in all of human history. We come to remember the sacrifice of Jesus giving his life on the cross, and the death of Jesus was mostly misunderstood in the moments that it was happening. His disciples, for them, seeing this man that they had just had dinner with, just prayed with in a garden, um, this man they'd spent three years of their lives with, um, day and night, to see him be arrested and railroaded into a death sentence um, that he didn't deserve, to them it just looked like game over. This is it. This thing we've been building towards, I guess it's over. We thought he was the one, but maybe he wasn't. And I, you know, I think, why, why wouldn't they think anything else? This is the first day. They couldn't see what was going to happen on the third. Uh, it's amazing the things that seem terrible, um, but ultimately turn out to be good events in our lives. I think everybody has these. Um, they, they usually tend to be the more, uh, the, or the bigger milestones in our life because of the way that we've dreaded and feared, and then only for them to come out to have some good out of them. Um, I've had, um, I'll call it the pleasure several times, um, to be able to talk with people who had uh, just learned of uh, an unplanned pregnancy, um, that they, um, you know, whether they were too young or whether they were in a, a bad season of life, and adding that into the mix was, just felt like chaos on top of chaos, you know, and for the people that are scared in those moments and fearful and, oh my gosh, what's going to happen, that can feel like bad news. And um, for somebody like myself, I love babies. I love their tiny, cute little fingers. I love how they all look like tiny old men, like when they're first born. doesn't matter, boy, girl, they all look like little old men at one point. I love it. And, and I, I get joy out of being able to walk into that moment of fear and being like, I know right now this seems like a terrifying thing, but I promise you, one of these days, God is going to turn this thing that seemed like the scariest moment in your life into one of the greatest blessings of your life. Uh, I mentioned on Sunday how a few years ago, um, I started into this big, serious battle with anxiety. And although I wouldn't go through it again, or I wouldn't want to go through it again, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, I can't deny that it's made me a better person. Overall, I'm better than who I was on the other side of it. I'm a more understanding father and husband and minister. I have a ton more empathy for what might be going on in people's lives behind the scenes. Um, you know, you meet somebody and they're rude or just standoffish or quiet or they just seem like they don't want anything to do with you. I'm much more likely to think, you know what, they could have a battle going on that my eyes can't see than I am to think, boy, that person's a jerk. Uh, It's amazing what it has done to change the kind of person that I am. Um, Now, this is not a sales pitch for mental breakdowns or anything like that. Um, But what I'm trying to um, get us to understand is that for the people that watched Jesus on the cross, all they thought was bad. All they thought was, this is the worst moment of my life. I can't believe I'm watching my friend. Um, For many people, his family member, I can't believe I'm watching him go through this. But God was able to take this greatest moment of pain and bring through it the greatest good the world has ever seen. Uh, The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it's, it's one of those things that the more you read the Bible and understand the Bible, the more you see that there are so many beautiful layers of meaning to what he did on the cross. So many that it's hard to really even grasp all of it at once because it's, it's such a huge, beautiful, complicated thing. 
Um, but if you have to pull one thing just to focus on tonight, understand that Jesus did it for you. All the anguish, all the suffering, he did it for you. He, he, he had us in mind before he went to the cross. He gave himself over to be tortured and killed um, to clean up a mess that humans made, to clean up a mess that I made, that you made. And then he died on that cross to ensure that we would be freed from the consequences and the punishment for making that mess, um, to fully appreciate what he has done on the cross for you and for me. Um, we have to kind of hit the rewind button and go back to an earlier part in the story. Um, the earliest part of the story, all the way back to the beginning. And we have to understand, why did God make us in the first place? Why did God make human beings? Why, was, why did he even come up with that idea? Well, he made us because he wanted to have a people that he could love and that would love him in return. He wanted to have these beings that he could invest in and who would lean on him and love him. And he made us not just to be his beloved children, but he made us in his image so that we would be his kind of representatives in the world, so that we would be like little walking advertisements for the goodness of God. Um, and what's really ridiculous is not only did he you know, make us in his image, but in doing that... Um, he shared his power with us. He shared his responsibility over creation with us. He brought us in to say, hey, this is my world, but you're going to share in caring for it. And he gave us an imagination. And he gave us the ability to choose how we were going to care for that world as we loved him and tried to show his goodness to that world. And so God's hope was that every human being, as we spent time with him, we would uh, be blessed by it, we would love him, and then we would go out into the world and we would reflect his goodness, his love, his selflessness uh, in how we treated one another, that we would reflect his goodness in how we cared for the planet, in how we treated animals, in how we ran businesses, and how we raised our kids, and how we built our lives, that every decision we made would be colored by the fact that we love God and he has loved us in return. And then as we spread over the face of the earth, as the human population grew and spread and, and overtook this wonderful planet he had made, we would just take the wonderful kingdom of God with us and the beauty of his rule and reign with us. The problem was, instead of choosing to use that power and that freedom that he had given us to build his kingdom, we all kind of went out to build our own. And you think, well, I don't have a kingdom really, do I? Uh, you might think, you know... I don't, because we think kingdom, we think castles and robes and royalty and that kind of thing. But a kingdom is simply the place where the king and the queen get their say. It's just the place where you're in charge if it's your kingdom. And so instead of using our power that God has given us to go around and love and, and show sacrifice and care and point to him, we've all kind of gone out uh, to do our own thing to create a world that gives us what we want, to bring people into our lives and circumstances into our lives that, that satisfy our desires, that give us the things that our hearts crave the most, that calm those dysfunctional cravings and feed our, our backwards wants that the world uh, can then give us. And so instead of love and grace and sacrifice, humans have proven time and time again that we're not really that loving and sacrificial and all those things God wanted us to be, but we tend to be selfish and 
lying and stealing malicious, hurtful people more often than not because we're not worried about building God's kingdom and lifting God up. We're just worried about us getting what we want so much of the time. We've taken the power and the freedom of choice that God has given us, and we've rebelled against his plan in order to go out and chase our own dreams. And this rebellion is called sin. This desire to walk away from what God wants and to use what he's given us to build our own kingdom, that's sin. That's all that sin is. Anytime we do or say or think anything that is outside of what honors God, that's sin. Anytime I'm choosing to build my kingdom instead of God's kingdom, that's sin. Anytime we introduce or spread pain or chaos into the world instead of the peace and the, and the kindness that God wanted, that is sin. And every single one of us is guilty. Now, sometimes we have trouble feeling that we are guilty because you can always find someone worse than you. And one of the best gifts that we have for whatever reason, or best skills, I won't say gift, one of the best skills we have is looking at other people and saying, well, I'm not as bad as them. Look, I, sure, I've done a few bad things, but my bad things were little bad things. That person over there, they've done some really big bad things. Um, but that's not how Scripture talks. We've all said words that have hurt someone uh, when we've wanted to satisfy our angry emotions. They did something, and so, well, I'll get them back, and it, it felt good in the moment. Um, we've all lied to protect ourselves to cover ourselves rather than honoring the truth of God. We've all avoided sacrificing and serving people and giving to people because we didn't want our kingdom to be inconvenienced. We needed to build up for ourselves. Every human is guilty. That's why Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, um, if, what's really interesting is if you go to the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, that word all, it has a very interesting meaning. It means all or every, every person. Again, our, we have a great gift of deflecting blame. That person's bad, but I'm really probably pretty good. You know, our world, one thing is we love like picking sides and teams, and somehow we always end up on the team that's good. Isn't that weird? Every group or team or tribe that you're a part of, you, you, you somehow pick the best one. That, that sports team you love, they're the best team, aren't they? How we, everybody else, they're the worst team ever. Isn't that weird? Every argument that you've ever been in, somehow you've always been right. Isn't that weird? And everybody you've always argued against, somehow they've been wrong. You, man, you must be really good at picking sides. Right, But that's, that's how we like, our brains like to interpret it, to avoid giving ourselves blame. That's not how things work. And so what we do, though, is because we say, well, I'm always on the good person, and they're always the bad person. Whoever they are, they're the ones who did the wrong thing, and you're the one who typically did the right thing. You're the better person. They're the worst person. Whatever group, tribe you're a part of, you're the good one, and everyone else is bad. But then you start reading a verse like this, and it says, oh, wait, I'm the bad person. We're all the bad people. This is, if this is a movie, an old Western, like, everybody's wearing a black hat. There's no white hat cowboys riding in to say, like, we're all the bad guy. That's what this verse tells us, that sin is an everyone problem. 
It is a human problem. It's my problem. It's your problem. That I don't even get to stand up here and say, hey, I'm awesome. Why can't you people get your lives together? I don't have the ability to do that because this verse points out that all have fallen far, far short of what God wanted us to do. He, we fell short of the ideal lives that he planned for us. And we've rebelled against God. You have rebelled against God. I have rebelled against God. I have spent the gift of freedom and choice and, and responsibility that he's given me to forsake him and build my own kingdom. We all have. And this rebellion, unfortunately, always leads to the same place. We think it's going to lead to our greatness. That's why we do it. We think it's going to lead to a good life. That's why we pursue it. But the Bible says that when we walk in a path that goes against what God created us for, it always goes to the same place. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Meaning when you do the work of sin, the paycheck that you earn is death. That's where that work always ends up. Romans 8.13 says, For when you live according to the flesh, to the earthly desire to build your own kingdom, to get earthly things and earthly pleasures. When you live that way, you will die. Well, sin brings death, ultimately because sin is walking away from God. God is the one who breathed life into the human race, who breathed existence into our lungs. And sin cuts us off from God and leaves us dead. It cuts us off from the source of life and leaves us dead. And again, what's ironic about it is the reason we chase sin is because we think it's going to give us the best possible life. And, and sin makes all kinds of promises. You, you drink that, you go to this hotel room, you do these things, it's going to be the best, it's going to be fun, it's going to be awesome. You go there, you tell that lie, it's going to get you out of trouble, and it'll make you a better life. Again, you click that link, you'll see some things, and you'll feel better. Wow, what a better life. And, or you tell yourself, life is hard, and I deserve to go out and have some fun, and so you go out and make a bunch of bad choices because you think it'll be fun, and it'll make your life better. Sin promises stuff, and the best it can give you is moments of fun, but in the end, it always leads to the same place, death. It promises so much, and it delivers so little. Now, one really strange idea that you find all throughout the Bible that you've probably seen, but you've probably never thought of it in this way, is that there's only one way to wash off something that has been defiled and corrupted by sin. And that thing is blood. Now, to us, that sounds absolutely bonkers. I don't think of blood as something I use to clean. I think of, some, I think of blood as something that I clean off of things. Um, not because I'm a serial killer, but because I have kids. And I mean, what parent hasn't Googled how to get blood out of cotton because your kid had a bike wreck or they got a bloody nose? Has anybody ever had their kid get a bloody nose in the middle of the night? Good. Nothing prepares you for that sort of image, right? You're going to need like trauma counseling after you see your kid come out. You're going to th you think murder after you've seen that. Um, but in our eyes, blood doesn't make things clean. No, we use stuff to clean blood or clean blood out of, out of stuff, right? Um, using blood as a cleanser or a cleaner, it seems absolutely bonker to us. But in the ancient world, to them, blood was the perfect way to clean sin. You see, uh, people in the ancient world, they weren't as dumb as we like to think. They were people, humans, just like you and I. They had the same brain capacity, skull capacity for a brain, right? They could think, they could connect some dots on stuff. Um, and what they noticed is that blood for a living creature meant life. 
If you have an animal that gets cut and its blood drains out of it, the life leaves that animal. Blood is life. There is life in the blood. And well, if sin brings death and spreads death, then the perfect way to combat that death-bringing thing is with something that holds the power of life. This was the basis of the entire uh, sacrificial system that God gave the ancient Israelites. They would bring animals, and this animal would die in the place of people. Um, not just to say, you did bad, so we've got to take your animal away. No, it was because you've brought sin into the world, and now we've got to cleanse the world of the sin you've brought into it. We've got to cover that sin and that death with life. And that's the purpose of blood and the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And this idea that blood cleans sin is why Jesus came. Uh, the cross was his mission. Even though his disciples didn't see it coming, his family didn't see it coming, this was why he came. His greatest dread was going to be the greatest tool to combat the evil and darkness that has trapped the human race from the very, very beginning. And Jesus came to offer himself as a sacrifice, to allow himself to be tortured and murdered on a Roman execution device called a cross so that his blood could be spilled to wash away the death of human sin, so that his blood could replace uh, the, the darkness and the death that lives in the depths of our souls and make us alive again. Now, we read Romans 3.23 earlier, but there was more to it, thankfully, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Meaning your criminal record of right and wrong is made right. They're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, we were separated from God, but Jesus brings us back into a relationship. He redeems us back in a relationship with God. Through Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation... By his blood. Propitiation means an offering that turns away wrath. So he gave Jesus to be an offering by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And then in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12 it says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people. Sanctify means to make them holy. To sanctify the people through his own blood. So as we think about the weight of what has to be done to, dealt with, to deal with sin, I want us to take a second and, and to contemplate the seriousness of our own sin. Again, you're never going to see the power of what Jesus did for the human race on the cross until we understand the seriousness of sin. And the best way for us to understand the seriousness of sin is to look at our own. Because nobody knows how bad we are more than us, than us, right? Nobody knows what you've got going on, what secrets are in your past, more than you. And so, again, as, as much as we want to point fingers at all the other bad people out there, at some point we've got to take a mirror and look into it and judge ourselves a little bit. And whatever you think of when you think of your sin, maybe you have um, a regret-filled past, Maybe you think of a, a season in your life where you're maybe addicted to something and you hurt people in that season and you put a lot of wounds on your own soul in the meantime. Um, maybe you look back on times you failed as a parent and now you watch your adult kids have to deal with the wounds that you inflicted on them when they were younger. 
Um, or maybe what comes to mind isn't some ancient past memory, but maybe it's something that's still very present and real. Maybe there's a, a sin or a situation that you are still struggling to be free from. And maybe uh, that's what comes to mind. Um, you have a, a secret sin that you struggle with that isolates you away with shame. Uh, maybe you're feeding anger and resentment rather than healing relationships. Maybe you're keeping those festering wounds open. Um, maybe it's greed or cynicism or laziness that you struggle with. Maybe it's those little lies to get yourself out of little jams here and there rather than embracing the truth of God. And, but, but what we have to understand is that sin has a terrible consequence. It promises you the world, but it delivers only death. Those sins in your life, they push you away from God. They cut you off from your heavenly Father who is just trying to show you a way to live that will bring you more joy and peace and contentment than you've ever known. The Bible calls that life to the full, like a full tank of life, the best possible life. And, and because it cuts us off from God, the source of all life, God or sin, leaves you dead, which again, utterly ironic considering what it promises. Now, and in addition to cutting you off from God, what sin also does is it it corrupts and it mars things and it dirties everything that it touches. It messes you up because the more you sin, the more likely you are to sin. The more you make bad decisions, the more you tend to make bad decisions. We get conditioned that way. Sin drags us into itself. The farther away we are from God, the more corrupt it makes our hearts. And even more so, sin corrupts the people that you're sinning around, the people that you're sinning against. You do something to somebody that they don't deserve, and suddenly they've got to take time and energy to heal the wounds that you've just caused to them. They've got to deal with cleaning up the mess that you came and dumped into their life. And in the midst of all of this, I think, why did God keep going? Why did God put up with us? Why would God still love me and still love you and every human? If every human story came out the same way, we're a mess, we're a disappointment, we're far from who he wanted us to be. Why didn't God just say, you know what? This universe really went off the rails, throw it in the trash, and start a new one. I did that with many a papers in high school and college. You get a little bit going, you're like, this is not it. Wad it up and you throw it in the trash. Why would God possibly keep going? He could have just written us off and started over. And yet God still loves us enough to enter into this world on a rescue mission to forgive us and wash away the evil and dirt of sin from our lives. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And Romans 5, 8 says, But God showed his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, what makes Christianity different and the story of Jesus and the work of Jesus different than every other religious system in the world is that he didn't say, okay, you know what, you guys are a mess, get your act together, and then we can talk. He didn't say, clean yourself up, get this sin business in order, and maybe I'll save you and let you come into a good afterlife when, if you can get yourself taken care of. 
That's every other world religion. Every other superstition works that way. But the story of Scripture is that, oh, my children, you have gotten so dirty. Let me come clean you up. Let me help. Let me help with the mess you've gotten yourself into because you clearly can't seem to get yourselves out of it. Let me step into your world, into your place, into the muck and mire of this world that you have tainted with your sin and start working on cleaning you up one life at a time. He sees the mess we've gotten ourselves into and with compassion uh, invites us to him so that he can make us clean. Now, one thing that has um, been a part of being a parent that, again, no one warns you about is how often your kids will hurt themselves after you have just said the words, don't do that, you're going to get hurt. And sometimes it is almost as if it is God-ordained because no sooner than those words can come out of your mouth do you hear the crying. It's, it's like God wants your kids, to, he wants to help them connect your kind warning with their own um, uncoordination. I don't know if that's the nicest way to say it, what it is, but... Um, now, in those moments, you know what I could do when I, my kid gets hurt after I just told him several times not to do that? I could walk over and say, told you, dummy. <laughs> Hurts, doesn't it? Enjoy that bone sticking out. Enjoy, enjoy all that blood you've got to clean up. Enjoy cleaning out those wounds and, and putting those bandages on because I ain't helping you because I tried to tell you and you did it anyway. I could do those things, but I have never once done that. Instead, you say, don't do that, you're going to get hurt. They fall, they fall off something, they jump into something, somebody hits somebody, they get hurt, right? And what do you do? You run in. I run in, and I pick them up, and I say, I'm so sorry, how are you doing? I hold them, I comfort them, I've kissed all the boo-boos, right? Um, I get out um, the soap and the wash rags, and I help clean the gravel out of the scrapes, even when they fight against that work. You put on the uh, Neosporin and a Band-Aid, and you help them get bandaged up. You get them an ice pack to help deal with the pain, and you do that work. Even though you tried to warn them, even though you've tried to help them avoid it in any way, and even though they ignored everything you said, you do it. Why? Because you love them. And for some reason, we understand that when we think of our kids and our grandkids, but when we, when we try to take that mindset over and say, that's how God deals with us, we think, oh, no, God must think I'm a mess. But it's, it's really kind of the same, that God looks at us, these flawed, imperfect people, and he thinks, oh, my poor kids, what a mess you have gotten yourselves into. You're never getting out of this one yourself. Let me come and help you with that. Now, if, if I can treat my kids that way, and I'm a, I'm a mess, I'm selfish like anybody else, how much more is God going to show us compassion when he's the perfect, loving creator of the universe? And what's painful, though, is that we can stand here and know this story of the gospel. We can make our mess and still come here and hear about God opening his arms to us, and we still have this part of us that wants to push back and wants to resist. This part of us that says, no, not me. I know what I've done. God's, God wouldn't forgive me. I'm such a mess. I'm such a disappointment. No way is God going to forgive me. Some people push back and resist that way. Some people resist because um, the work of getting your life cleaned and healed, it's, it can be painful. It can be unpleasant. Just like when you grab your kid and you got to scrape the gravel out of their wounds, sometimes that work of 
what you got to do to get things healed and moving in the right direction can be painful. And coming to Christ and surrendering your life and, and riding the ship can be painful. And some people say, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Or sometimes we're just foolish enough to keep on believing. I don't know. I think I can build a pretty good kingdom. Maybe I don't have to do God's way. My way, I, you know, I've made my mistakes, but I think I've really learned a lot. And I think my second try at building my kingdom is really going to work out. But the full life that God offers is so unimaginably, unimaginably beautiful and peaceful and content. It is a life of joy so amazing our small human brains cannot even can comprehend it. And the door to that full life is Jesus and the work he did for us on the cross. He took everything that was getting in the way between you and God and he dealt with it on the cross. And, and he takes every problem every sin, every struggle in your life, and he makes a way for that to be turned into a situation of healing and redemption and grace. And for those of us who are Christians, some of us have learned that kind of the process of following Jesus is you just kind of keep stumbling and you keep coming back and refreshing yourself in his grace. And you say, and and. You come back over and over again, week after week, getting renewing yourself in his love, saying, Jesus, boy, I really, uh, I did some dumb things this week, didn't I? I'm so sorry. I tried to build my own kingdom again. I know how that goes. Please forgive me and help me keep moving in the right direction. We keep coming back again and again to be refreshed in his mercy. But even with all of that, we still have those moments where we think, I, I, hope, I hope I'm good enough. I hope, I hope I'm forgiven enough. I, I hope that, that thing I am thinking of that I did 10 years ago that was really dumb, I hope, I, hope that's, I hope God takes care of that one too. I'm not the only one that thinks of that weird stuff in the middle uh, when you're trying to go to bed, right? Um, that's the only thing my brain wants to think about is the mistakes I've made. And because of Good Friday, and what makes it Good Friday is that we come to Christ knowing that our past mistakes, our future mistakes are in his hands and dealt with, forgiven, and washed away with his own blood. And to help us kind of get our brains around that, what we're going to do in a few minutes is we're going to come and we're going to take communion. And we're going to um, kind of let everyone do it at their own pace. We're going to play a little music and you can come up and, and grab some communion and take it back to your seat and uh, take it as you're ready. Um, and communion is our constant reminder every week that we rest not in our own goodness, that my, if I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to be acceptable to God, it's not going to be in anything I do, but it is going to be through the cleansing blood of Jesus that he lovingly spilled out for us on the cross. And so when we take part in this communion ritual, uh, for us, most of the time it's weekly. If you come to church on Sunday, you get a two-for-one-week, kind of uh, this kind of a thing. Um, but what we do is we declare that, yes, we are still going to mess up, but Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to make us clean and make us righteous, make us acceptable, and to save us before our God. And to really help us understand that he frees us from our sins, that he washes them away, we come to the secret paper. Now, what I want you to do, before you come up to take communion, while the music's playing, I want you to grab a pen. There's plenty in the pews or if you brought one. And I want you just to write down some sins in your life 
Now, you don't have to advertise it. We're not going to stick it on a bulletin board. Don't worry about that. It could be something you deeply regret from your past that keeps hanging over your head. You think, oh, this is the one thing I worry about. Like, when I get to heaven, is God going to shame me for this? could be something you're still struggling with. could be the constant worries that you have that don't, that you know you should just trust God with your future, and, and it's that lack of trust that keeps hanging over you. Write whatever you want on this little piece of paper. And then you fold it up nice and small. And then when you're ready and you want to come up and take communion, you just drop it in this little thing of water and watch it vanish. Because like that paper just disappears into a little mist, like it washes away, so when we come to Jesus, do our sins get washed away? And yeah, our memory keeps track of them, but God doesn't. Yes, we keep thinking about them when nights, you know, when you can't fall asleep at night, but they're gone in the goodness and grace of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so when you drop it in there, then you can get your communion, head back to your seat, and just spend a few minutes resting and enjoying the freedom and the release that we get from our own mistakes. Be, celebrate the, clen- the cleansing of our hearts through what Jesus has done. That we are not asked to put ourselves together, to get our act in order, but we get to come and be made clean through Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the cross. What a brutal and scary night that must have been for Jesus. What a terrifying situation for our Lord to to know the pain he was about to endure. And Father, I thank you that even though he wanted to escape, he was willing to surrender to your will and stay. And I pray, Father, that, um, that we would appreciate the beauty that is hidden between, beneath the, the horror and darkness of the cross, that we'd see the beauty of your love for us. We would see the beauty of, of, of how his blood washed away our sin, how the life of Jesus quite literally covers the darkness and death that we bring into the world through our disobedience and our rebellion. And Father, I do ask that you would, again, let us to finally feel. For some of us, uh, our hearts, for whatever reason, don't want us to feel anything but guilt and shame. I pray that you would allow us, through your Spirit, to feel freedom and joy and the release of that criminal record of wrongs that we keep a very close track of, but we would, that we would be able to feel that be wiped away and washed away by the blood of Jesus. Thank you again for this um, day that we call Good Friday. Um, I, I love that on the outside it doesn't look good, but when we understand what Jesus is doing for us, it becomes more good than we can ever imagine. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.